Let's explore what it means to be well. From meditation, stress management, safer substance use, and sexual health, we will literally talk sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Join us to dive deep into some student health questions. We'll learn about wellness together, try some coping tools, and meet some interesting people. Your co-hosts, Heather and Craig. Perfect blend of Campus Health and Wellness Center and Sal's. Each week, we'll DIY a wellness tool together. And then nerd out and dig into the science behind how it works. Email your health and wellness related questions to wellpod at durhamcollege.ca to be discussed anonymously on air. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the WellPod well at, at DC. DC. Welcome to the WellPod at DC from the Media Hub here on riotradio.ca. It's pumpkin spice season uh, and smells like it's going to be a great episode. For sure. Uh, so today we're going to be exploring the science behind essential oils and if scent can enhance well-being and learning. So our student question of the week is if essential oils work, we're going to look at the history of aromatherapy, the science of essential oils, look at smellovision. Have you heard of smellovision before? I'm, I'm excited for that part. <laughs> and why smells might be so nostalgic. Uh, finally, we'll talk about if scent is a study partner or a distractor. Uh, Craig, how much do you think the global essential oil market is worth? If you had to kind of put a, a US dollar on it. $2 billion. $2 billion. Uh, President's research states that the global essential oil market was valued in 2022 at $20.99 billion US dollars uh, and expected wow. to hit $43.87 billion in the next 10 years. Wow. So it's a big industry, mm -hmm. something for us to keep in mind <laughs> as we go into this subject. Uh, so what are essential oils? Essential oils are plant extracts, typically fragrant plants extracted from roots, flowers, leaves, and seeds using steam or applied pressure. Once the aromatic chemicals have been extracted, they are combined with what's called a carrier oil to be ready for you. So mm -hmm. uh, we typically will have them in little containers and you might uh, put them on topically or you find them in a lot of household cleaners. Um, have you seen it mentioned in any of your household items or personal hygiene items, the kind of term essential oil? I don't see it often in the products, but the diffusers that you see people with and you put the drops in and I don't know much about those. <laughs> <laughs> but you've seen those yeah, diffusers seen uh, yeah, uh, there. Sure. So essential essentially means the essence of the plant and it can take several pounds of the actual plant to produce a single little bottle of essential oils. Mm. There's no government agency, however, providing a grading system or certification, which is a big problem. Many companies claim their oils are therapeutic grade, but that's purely a marketing term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that we look at with aromatherapy, which is the practice of using these oils, is that it's a cross-cultural practice that dates back thousands of years. Plants such as fennel, coriander, and cumin, and many others have been found at sites of burials. It ranges from being used in food flavorings and medicines and perfumes and religious rituals. For instance, in Hindu and Buddhist temples, you might see some incense being burned. And then in Roman Catholic Catholic churches, you might uh, notice the censer containing the burning of frankincense, mm -hmm. which we have here today. Mm -hmm. 
So let's go down a little bit of a history path and learn a little bit about aromatherapy. So written in India at around 2000 BC, one of the oldest books we have on plants is called Theirders, which lists the various uses of over 700 different plants, such as sandalwood, ginger, myrrh, and cinnamon. The roots of traditional Chinese medicine, which involves things like acupuncture as well as aromatherapy, can be traced back thousands of years. And around 28 BC, 20, 2800 BC, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Yellow Emperor, Huang Ti, wrote a book called Interne- Internal Medicine about the causes of diseases and how plants were actually part of the majority of treatments. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the oldest books recently uh, that has been discovered globally. It is the ancient Egypts, though, that when we look at aromatherapy are seen as pioneers of the use of aromatic plants. The Ebers papyrus of around 1500 BC contains one of the earliest recipes for any guesses what cosmetic recipe we have, one of the oldest uses of uh, aromatic plants, what cosmetic area it was used for personal hygiene, deodorant. Uh. Right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, deodorant is one of the kind of the first areas, but it wasn't just used in cosmetic purposes like med- makeup and shampoos mm-hmm. and deodorant, but it was actually used for its antiseptic and antibacterial properties to embalm the dead for mummies for thousands of years. Mm. Kefir was used in mummification, which is a mixture of 24 different ingredients, ranging from calamus, which is a very powerful narcotic, cinnamon, Mm. peppermint, citronella, frankincense, and raisin was another big item uh, um, plant used in that product. Uh, And what was interesting about this substance, it wasn't just used to help make mummies, but it was also used as a poison antidote and a tranquilizer, which according to the International Federation of Aromatherapists, lured one to sleep, allayed anxieties and brightened dreams. So you wonder Mm. what exactly that mixture was doing. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Fourth century BC is where we saw in Greek history, uh, we turn to, and I'm not going to pronounce this very well, Hippocrates, 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 known as the father of medicine. And he wrote about the useful properties of plants and herbs for treatments. And many of his suggested treatments we know now as massage and steam baths. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he very much believed that the healing power of nature, the way to health is to have aromic baths and scented massages every single day. Greek philosopher Theophatus wrote an encyclopedia on scent called Concerning Odors and recorded one of the most fundamental principles in current day aromatherapy. And that is the belief that the aromic oils that we've been mentioning when applied tropically can have an internal impact into our well-being and workings of the body. But finally, it was the Knights of Crusades that brought essential oils to Europe in the Middle Ages. During the Bobanic Plague, fires were lit on streets at night corners, which included a mixture of frankincense and benzoin and pine. Doctors wore nose bags, which contained the aromatic herbs such as cinnamon and cloves. And have you ever heard, Craig, of a, a pomander? 
pomander. Have you heard that term no. before? Um, so for most average individuals in the, the Middle Ages in Europe, this was like an orange. So they, they would use a citrus, like an orange, mm-hmm. and shove cloves on it. So if you've ever seen the image, sometimes we see it around the holiday mm-hmm. season where it's an orange with the cloves stuck yeah. in. This was carried around to fight off the plague during the Black Plague. Mm. Uh, the more lords and ladies of the time, and even Queen Elizabeth I, would use very fancy pomanders. Queen Elizabeth was said to carry uh, damask rose, benzoin, and amberis around most of her days. So aromatherapy comes from the words fragrance and treatment, defined in 1937 when French perfumer and chemist uh, René Moreau-Gatoussi published a book called Aromatherapy and started suggesting herbal medicine using essential oils for medicinal properties. Aromatherapy claims to promote well-being, relieve stress, and help rejuvenate and regenerate the body. So we see in history aromatic elixirs used to uplift spirits and help cure diseases. But is this backed by science? Mm. The National Institute of Health provides a thorough summary via the U.S. Medicine, the U.S. National Library of Medicine Apologies of research conducted in the efficiency and efficacy of essential oils. And currently, there is no evidence-backed research showing that any illnesses can be cured through essential oils and aromatherapy. The results, on the other hand, around our mood and being used for stress, more psychological conditions, are a little bit more mixed, but still quite inconclusive. Dr. Thera Lodog, Director of Education and Fellowship at the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, states that there has been small studies showing that aromatherapy can be beneficial in certain populations, but when looked at in totality, the evidence is weak for beneficial effects for inhalation. So Craig, what's happening in our nose and our bodies when we're inhaling these oils and what research is out there for their use? Mm-hmm. So in terms of um, in terms of smelling anything, and it goes back to what you said for the essential oils that they're um, volatile chemicals, which sounds scary, but it really just means that they evaporate in the air. Oh. So that then if you were to open one of those bottles, even if we left it across, eventually we're going to smell a fragrance because as um, as it evaporates, mm-hmm. then those uh, those chemicals are now in the air. And we, of course, breathe them in and that's the at least part of the point of the aroma therapy and so in terms of what goes on in in our uh, in our nose and behind our nose more so than just our nose itself <laughs> so um yeah the process that it takes is of course going up through our nostrils and that's mm-hmm. what we picture here on the outside and then yeah you kind of must smell some stuff at least that's how i used to think but you actually have a full nasal cavity quite a large space back behind your nose mm. in your in your face basically yeah. or behind your face yeah and it's decently large and it has a whole number of roles i should say that i won't get into uh, each of them you know but things like warming the air as it goes in and moisturizing the air because ultimately of course it's going to get down to our our lungs and we don't Mm -hmm. on a day like today where it's starting to get colder right you don't want that cold air down in your lungs as an example but aside from that it's in the nasal cavity that we actually have receptors for Mm. those chemicals that are in the air. So they're not necessarily here. No, 
No, like further, further back in the nasal cavity, we have these, um, we have these, the official term, uh, make sure I get it right, are dendritic receptors of olfactory sensory neurons. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> uh, but uh, what it's referring to dendritic is it actually comes from the term um, for branches. And so oh. basically there's cells back in our nasal cavity that have little branches that hang down. Uh, I mean, they're very, very tiny. So don't picture, you know, massive branches uh, mm -hmm. sticking into our nasal cavity, but they stick out a little bit. And then there's receptors on them, little mm. chemicals that when we breathe in the chemicals that we're talking mm. about, they bind to those receptors. And then that triggers a signal along our sensory neurons back into our brain to process mm. what we're smelling. I picture like a cave with uh, stalagmites and stalactites. Is that kind of? That's it. I yeah. would say like, but even that, if you picture the um, uh, more the moss on the um, on those things, yeah. right, would be like okay, the little fibery uh, mm -hmm. fibrous moss would be the equivalent of those dendritic extensions on these uh, on these cells. Very neat. And so, like we said, the chemicals then react with those receptors, triggering that cell to send uh, a signal back into your brain to process that, just like any of our other sensors, right? Like photoreceptors in our eye, mm. right? Light is coming to them and then they're triggering a nervous signal uh, to go back to the part of our brain that ultimately processes what we're seeing in front of us. Except of course, with smell. this is with smell, right? Very neat. Yeah. And so it's pretty neat like when it gets back into our brain as well. It travels to uh, pyramidal neurons in the olfactory cortex, which sounds, uh, you know, complex. Basically, to like, tone it down as you have your temple, your temporal lobe of your brain, mm -hmm. and it's kind of in the underside of your temporal lobe. That's where all this information goes to be processed. Mm. And we'll get into it a little bit in uh, our later segments, but it's not just, okay, it goes there to be interpreted and I'm smelling strawberry is coming to mind. So strawberry scent. Yeah. But when you think about it, you know what a strawberry smells like from your memory because mm -hmm. you've smelt it before, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not just that part of your brain on its own, it's connected to other parts of your brain like memory. Ooh. of what a strawberry smells like, right? In order to mm -hmm. be able to process that information and say, okay, oh, what's that? What is that that I'm smelling? And okay, connect, connect, connect. Yeah, that's what strawberries smell like. So this is a strawberry scent, just to use that example. Mm. But the interesting part about our nasal cavity, and you mentioned topical application for some of these chemicals is not just the processing of the scent, the other aspect of it is all in that lining of our nasal cavity, mm -hmm. there's a lot of blood vessels right near the surface. Mm. Because the other thing that goes on in there, sorry to be gross for a second, but is a whole lot of mucus and yeah. so on. And, uh, but that's a good thing. It has protective properties for us. But all that to say, we have to make those chemicals to warm the air, like I was mentioning earlier. Where's that mm. warmth coming from? It's coming from our body, from the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. And so there's blood vessels right near the surface. So beyond the scent itself is some of these compounds are actually crossing our mucous membrane. It's called the mm -hmm. sort of, if you will, skin of the inside <laughs> of our, sorry, of our nasal cavity, but going into our blood. Yeah. 
And then when it goes into our blood, it's not just smell at that point, it's now able to travel around the body and have potential effects on our on our body, right? If you think about medications as an example, I have one as type one diabetic that is for injecting in my uh, in my nose if I am yes. severely low. Well, the reason that you put it in my nose is then it gets absorbed into my blood and goes and has that recovery result, right? Yes. And so, um, yeah, it's... So you're not just smelling with your nose. There's a lot of other processes There's a lot of other there. processes going on as mm. well, for sure. And so, yeah, going back to what we said already is these, uh, these aromatic compounds, these essential oils, mm -hmm. right, are coming into the air. Sure, binding to those dendritic receptors but also potentially crossing the uh, mucous membrane into our blood mm -hmm. and resulting in effects more directly, if you will, not just smell, mm -hmm. but maybe there are effects going on inside of our body. Interesting. Mm, for sure, for sure. One of the other things that we wanted to talk about today was that the assumption that aromatherapy is natural and therefore free of any risks, which is inaccurate. Almost every study of aromatherapy ends with a call for more research. And some essential oils contain volatile organic compounds, which you so beautifully explained to me, um, that may produce unwanted side effects. Uh, according to Hopkins Medicine, some ways that we can um, introduce essential oils and aromatherapy in a safer way into our world, first look at the labels. So one of their suggestions is to actually look at the labels on the products and it should include a Latin name of the plant, information on purity and the other ingredients listed and the country in which the plant was grown. Some other things evaluate the company. Purchase products from well-known reputable aromatherapy companies that have been around for several years. Other things choose a dark colored glass container because pure essential oils are highly concentrated and they can dissolve plastic over time. Finally, avoid fragrance oils because fragrance and essential oils are two very different things. Mm -hmm. Fragrance are more perfumes that can be made with some essential oils, but tend to have a lot of chemicals, other chemicals added, some from plant extracts, but a lot from uh, entirely being made up synthetically. For sure. And like you said earlier, there's not a, over, or a regulated body that's regulating all of this no. is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of the research that we'll get into later is exactly what I read in the articles is, um, you know, here's what we found. Um, the key thing is that we need to do more research. Yeah. They almost all ended oh, like that, just like that. you said. Yeah. Coming up after the music break, we're going to explore smell-o-vision and why smells are so nostalgic. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media at DCSA Media Hub, as well as at Wellness at DC. Here is Smells Like Teen Spirit cover version by Rehab and Ambama Shepherd right here on riotradio.ca. Pretend she's overboard, self assured. Oh no, I know a dirty word. Hello, 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 Stupid and contagious Here we are now 
Welcome back to the WellPod at DC from the Media Hub here on riotradio.ca. Most of our childhood is stored not in photos, but in certain biscuits, lights of day, smells, and textures of carpets. This is a 2014 tweet from Alan de Botten. Smell-o-vision. Any thoughts on what smell-o-vision could be? Just looking at the two terms that are involved there, right? Yeah. Smell and vision being two of our uh, our senses there. So mm-hmm. I imagine some entanglement. Entanglement, yeah. yes, yes. So smell-o-vision was huge in the 1960s. It was created by Hans Laub and made its only appearance in the 1960 film of Scent of Mystery. It's a system that released odor during the projection of a film so viewers could smell what was happening in the movies. And it blasted 30 different odors from theater street seats triggered by the soundtrack. So the use of scents in conjunction with film dates all the way back actually to 1906 before the introduction of sound. So it was actually trying mm. to be introduced yeah. before sound, which is really interesting for us to, to think on. Yeah. Uh, Scentivision was introduced at the 1939 New York World's Fair, and Disney considered it for their 1940s film Fantasia, but eventually decided it was going to be way too costly. But Disney did come back to the smell-o-vision world. Have you been to a Disney park yourself ever? When I was really young. Do you remember what it was like kind of walking down the streets or and some of the rides? Do you remember smelling anything? Mm, not I'm testing really. your memory yeah, right now. I'm, I'm pretty uh, old now. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the things Disney does is they use machines mm. called smellitizers mm. to push fragrances into the air around you. And they actually patented it in 2019 and patented this idea around scent blending, the process in which the com- company produces memorable smells like baking of waffles, oranges throughout the park uh, and on rides. So they strategically place it to align up with visual and sensory other cues. Mm. So scent branding is actually a huge trend in industry right now, including hotels that pump their hotels with signature scents in rooms and lobbies. Have you ever stayed at a Hyatt 
Hotel? No, I don't think so. They are one of the many that uses this. They've used it since 2007. Its unique seamless signature scent delivers the sensation of welcoming elegance and calmness. What do you think is in their scent? Any guesses what you'd want in a hotel room? I don't know. Maybe lavender. Mm Mm-hmm. Something relaxing. Something something else flowery, I'm picturing. So Hyatt uses fresh blueberries, Blueberries. light florals on a base of warm vanilla and musk. Mm. Uh, What childhood scents do you think in 2020 research found to be the most familiar and nostalgic, eliciting higher self-esteem, social connections, optimism, and inspiration? Any guesses on what the most nostalgic scent could be? My brain always goes to like cookies, Mm. food. Sweet food. Yeah, sweet food. Just like, you know, smelling mm-hmm. that kitchen smell of... Yeah. And that's what they found. It was mm. bubblegum was oh. the most familiar and most nostalgic scent. Mm. Several studies in the lab have demonstrated that the scent evoked memories are more emotional than memories triggered by other sensory modalities. Research has shown that sweet odors elicit happy feelings and well-being and heavier odors evoke disgust and irritation. So let's put our nose to the test. Let's smell some stuff. So we're going to introduce a little buddy to our team here. Hello, Eldon. Nice to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to ask the two of you. I'm going to pass you a bottle and I want you to hold it up to your nose give a little whiff a little waft but have your eyes closed don't read the label on the bottle and I want to know how do you feel so like what emotion kind of quickly comes to mind don't overthink it Mm -hmm. and what memory does it remind you of are you ready close your eyes okay wait are we both getting the same one or we're passing you're gonna pass it so there you are you got your eyes closed scary okay how do I and then I'll pass it over oh that makes sense So yeah. what what emotion are you feeling? Emotion like I don't know that it's emotion. It smells like something new to me. Something new. Like I got something new. So maybe excitement. Okay, Alden. Um, it smells like bedtime. Bedtime. <laughs> yeah. Any like kind of memory pocket that it, it's kind it's, of triggering sleep? It smells like toothpaste. Toothpaste. Yeah. Yeah. I was picturing shoes so very different from toothpaste. <laughs> it's peppermint. So you can open your eyes with that one. So that one's peppermint. Toothpaste? <laughs> You're pretty good. Thank my, you. My uh, shoes do not smell like I was going to say, what kind of shoes are you buy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the greatest sense of smell as, uh, you know, shown by... Uh, <laughs> so let's see if, uh, if there's a, a similar response here. Close your eyes. Okay. So this is the next one. So give it a little bit of a whiff, a waft. Smells like microphone. So what emotion are you feeling? Calm. Yeah, calm. Yeah. I was about to. Sorry if I just <laughs> hit you. I don't know where things. Want to give it another waft? I'm pretty sure I know this one actually. So maybe calm. Yeah. Anything else you're feeling? Any memory that it's kind of what's it reminding you of? The campus health show. Oh. <laughs> can I open my eyes now? You can open your eyes now. Any guesses what it was? Eucalyptus. Ooh, very close. Craig? I don't know. This, I'm, I'm bad at this stuff. This is lemon. Really? This had a oh, lot of lemon not, within it. I was it. not on lemon is it, it's, it's That's just lemon. <laughs> it was mixed with a few other things, but predominantly it's called liquid sunshine. Okay. There's a lot yeah. of lemon I in. would say so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you yeah. were on a beach? Right. No. 
And maybe even more so just like the having a nap on the beach, right? Whether it was a beach or not, like you said, calm. And I say calm. It was just like, a, yeah. yeah, just laying on the couch or right. on the beach. and yeah. just, ah. All right, last one. Okay. Close your eyes. Pass it there. And that's a, thank you. It smells like licorice or something to me. Oh man. <laughs> what? <laughs> what what is memory or what emotion? Mm. Oh, I'm guessing in the you wrong order. You can open order. your eyes. What do you think? I didn't like that much. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like that either. And like I feel like I should like it though based on what I Ooh. Yeah. So this one it, uh, many people either love it or they hate it. It's one okay. of the most common sense. Lavender. See, that didn't smell like lavender to me, though. Like, that's, right? that is the weird thing. I've this had... is the interesting thing of essential oils. Yeah. yeah. And maybe what they're doing in our brain, which we're going to explore. Thanks for your yeah. nose. Thanks um, for smelling. Yeah. Or actually, not your nose, as we learned today. Yeah. Other true. parts. And Thanks you for uh, your blood and those your, things. And my moss. Yeah. Your moss. So, Ken Hegelman, professor of neurology and health psychology at the University of Florida, says smells do bring back memories. Smell goes into the emotional parts of the brain and memory parts, whereas words tend to go more into the thinking part of the brain. And this can explain why memories sparked by smell feel more nostalgic and emotional rather than concrete and detailed. So, Craig, why do we get so nostalgic when we smell things like grandma's cooking or a holiday scent? Total aside here, yes. just the lavender. We have a plant of that at our place. And uh, yeah, that's the every time it blooms is uh, not my favorite. And I should have got that right away. <laughs> and if my eyes start welling and so on, I'm not crying. It's the reactions that, uh, that come with it. Um, but yeah, going back to the nostalgia and so on, one of the things that uh, I didn't get into earlier was specific areas of the brain beyond what we said, you know, that this uh, sense are being processed in that lower part of your temporal uh, temporal lobe. Mm -hmm. But it's an area, as we did say, that's connected to various other parts of the brain for coming up with memory, as we kind of uh, just uh, looked at or smelt at, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but it's connected to areas of our brain like the hypothalamus, the mm -hmm. hippocampus, and their favorite one, yeah, the amygdala. Yeah, I love the amygdala. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that's bringing things back to like connections with memory and mm -hmm. um, and even just emotion. So the amygdala is related to like mm -hmm. stress and fear. Mm -hmm. So then if there's um, connections there, right, you smell something that, mm. oh, this is a, a bad situation, whatever that might happen to be. I would assume that evolutionary, there's a little bit of uh, survival for that as well, because you should be able to know, ooh, this is, don't eat this, don't eat this meat, this has gone rotten. Exactly, and actually mm -hmm. I had an example of exactly that, because unfortunately <laughs> I did it once. Um, but it's tied to your uh, tied to your limbic system. This is an emotional part of our brain, but it's not a part like, oh, there it is. It's all of these portions intertwined, mm -hmm. and there for exactly what you're saying, protection for ourselves. Very cool. I was a picky eater to share the story that I'm thinking of as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when my parents found something that I liked, it was okay, here's make a fair bit of it. I had my favorite pasta salad that I couldn't eat enough of. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it was made. Unfortunately, there was uh, mayonnaise in this pasta salad oh, and yes. I ate it and I ate it and I ate it and it went bad and I ate it. 
And then uh, the night that I ate it after it had gone bad, I um, unate it. If that's, uh, if that's <laughs> you were very sick. I was very sick. And yeah. then here's my favorite food that I didn't eat again for years. Because this part of our brain is not, it, it overrides the logical part of mm -hmm. our brain, right? Mm -hmm. You could, or someone could make that pasta salad. I could make that pasta salad. Like I just brought, bought all new stuff and here I make it and I would smell it. Yeah. And then basically I would feel sick to myself, mm -hmm. uh, zero saliva, you know, mm -hmm. as a protection, like it's harder to swallow if you don't have much, uh, yeah. much saliva. So your mouth dries up and so on, but for protection so that mm -hmm. you don't eat it. Just like you said, you smell the bad uh, meat if you're like, you know, actually had something that was off. Yeah. Those chemicals, just like the essential oils are coming off of that, uh, mm -hmm. that meat and so on, going into your nose and your brain without you even consciously thinking about it as much as you might be like you yeah is just shut off all uh, all release of saliva so that uh, this guy doesn't actually eat this stuff because it will make him sick Ooh. it will make us sick yeah. right because ultimately it's part of our unconscious brain figuring that stuff out Dang. and so it's really interesting just like yeah the overlap with uh, like the control of even those automatic things mm -hmm. going on in our in our body and um, yeah, and so even just going back to the smells you mentioned earlier on, right? Thinking about um, thinking about like a smell that you do like to get away from the gross story, right? But you mm -hmm. mentioned pumpkin spice latte yes. or pumpkin spice pumpkin in general. Spice season. It's pumpkin spice season. So are you a big pumpkin spice fan though? As much as <gasps> we've got this theme going, I here? like pumpkin pie, I, which uses oh, a, a pumpkin uh, all spice mm, blend, mm, right? Mm -hmm. And now here I am over here, yeah, salivating, <laughs> just uh, where's the pumpkin pie? I heard mention of pumpkin pie. Mm -hmm. But this is again, even though that's not a scent, but it's that mm. underlying unconscious portion of our brain that if we were to, you know, talk on about it, or even if you were to, uh, you know, close your eyes and mm -hmm. think about the smell of the pumpkin pie being mm -hmm. freshly baked and so on. And just even the thoughts sometimes. I'm salivating. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a, it happens, right? And so there's that stuff that's, uh, you know, we're not consciously thinking, and I'm being silly here, but yeah. like, okay, oh, I'm going to have food. I, yeah. I know there's no pumpkin pie in here, mm -hmm. but still your brain is on auto mode, if you will. And that's our limbic system. But then of course, tied to we've smelled pumpkin pie before mm -hmm. so then there's memory there right of mm -hmm. what the uh, what the pie smells like how tasty it is and so yeah. on that leads to bringing up those memories again very neat for sure coming up after the music break we're exploring if scent is friend or foe is it a study partner or distraction don't forget you can follow us on social media at dcsa media hub as well as at wellness at dc here is smell by sleeping at last right here on riotradio.ca Is this the part where the brain scan shows where memories reside? Some ambiguous shape in me suddenly reducing light. Trigger like a tripwire every time I breathe it in. Isn't it strange that a lilac tree? Where I've been Like a time machine 
direction the lights will match Desperate attempts that make it last So hold my breath for as long as I can But before long the wind swells in I started a fight I could never win But I will hold on as long as I can If energy's against my will The light goes out, my heart goes still And just like that, I believe in Welcome back to the WellPod at DC from the Media Hub here on riotradio.ca. Craig, sent friend or foe to our academic success? It's a hard one because, as we said earlier in the day, is depending what research you come across, mm -hmm. they all tend to end with 
and more research is needed, mm -hmm. which as much as science is always and more research needed because it brings up new questions. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, under this particular, you know, structure and so on, maybe it showed something, maybe it didn't. And more research is needed. But there's some interesting articles out there for sure. Um, one that I um, was looking at was uh, Gottfried and others at al mm -hmm. if you uh, if you will from 2004 this was an interesting one where they were doing functional mris where basically mm -hmm. they put you into the mri machine and then they're tracking what parts of your brain are functioning by what is lighting up mm -hmm. and so what they had done was they actually had done similar to what we did in the segment is get people to uh, um, smell smells mm -hmm. and then think about the two questions like you said does it remind you of anything and uh, mm -hmm. and details of like what it reminded them of and of course they cleared out like mm, I don't know what this smells like or it smells yeah. like shoes when it's really you know experiment <laughs> um, but uh, anyways but it, they would get rid of smells of someone oh it doesn't really bring back a memory and so on but then what mm -hmm. they would do later is they would put them in the functional MRI and they would um, sometimes give them the smells that were used and see again the parts that light up in their brain and so on some some of the people they would cue with the words that were used mm -hmm. uh, in the sense of let's just say you know living room when I was younger Ooh. And then it was interesting because uh, um, people who had smelt the uh, smells that like, you know, triggered the, the, the idea of living room, then it showed that, you know, their, um, their brain lit up even when they weren't given the smell, they were just said living room. Oh, that and is so neat. So it was like they had this extra memory, like the kind of tied to some of those parts of the brain we were talking about. There was more lighting up than just if it was like, I want you to picture your living room when you were growing up. Okay, living room. Mm. Okay, that person had, you know, parts of their brain light up, but when there was a scent that caused them to remember it, even when there wasn't a scent later, it was the word triggered wow. the part of their brain that was related to the scent to kick on and yeah, help bring up that memory again, so to speak. Yeah with more research needed. Um, mm. But again, is that what's actually going on or there's just some correlation there and, and mm -hmm. so on? But it was just uh, some interesting research as far as, well, now you're not being given a scent, you're being told a word, yeah. but your brain is still, you know, bringing that information up. Mm -hmm. And another one that was very similar, um, but like closer to the question we're asking in terms of remembering things was, uh, yeah, um, tracking people's uh, brains using a MRI again and so on, but actually giving people, um, giving people uh, tasks mm. for um, um, things like matching and matching um, mm -hmm. like two smells. They basically, I'm going to probably butcher exactly what they did, but mm -hmm. took like a variety of cans. And then the person's role was to find the two matching cans that had the same Ooh, scent in them. That's fun. But then they did something that was unrelated to scent that was more uh, visual, spatial, like more they, um, on the on the cans, if I recall, they wrote uh, different letters from a, um, or symbols from a different language than mm. the person knew. And long story short, it was like those who had like the smells and practice with that intertwined with the recognizing the symbols and so on. Mm -hmm. They had a lot better visual spatial going back to our 
smellovision, if I yes. recall it right. They had better visual spatial memory, having mm. also partaken in the smell than people who are just given the matching situation of the visual With spatial no and no scent uh, wow. training and so on. So it was really interesting. And then I think the biggest one for that are most interesting to me, uh, again, with more research needed, but it was something where they... Um, they were looking at, and let me get this right, basically, um, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong research here. Yeah, but basically, oh, yeah, yeah, this was getting somebody to learn something and then providing sense in the room while they were learning it. Yes. That's what it was. Because the other one was smelling the smells and matching and having to mm -hmm. think this was just a smell in the room while I learned about whatever the... And I've seen that in a lot of like study tips of like consider a scent just for studying mm -hmm. that can be used later when you're trying to write that exam. You can like if experiment is an easy one because yeah. then you can chew the gum mm. during your exam and then is that helping with learning and, and that's memory? A, and that's a good example because one of the things I'll, be, I'll admit was like, wait, how would you bring, you know, when you show up to your <laughs> show, exam show and you've diffuser, got your diffuser set up and all your little you're probably going to be uh, asked <laughs> to, you know, step outside for a moment. Yeah. But uh, yeah, something like that. But even more than that, the sort of rabbit hole I went on was mm -hmm. not so much during the exercise or the, the um, test or exam. Mm -hmm. It was, okay, I'm studying and I have spearmint just to go with that example. Mm -hmm. Then the research looked at while that person is sleeping let's mm -hmm. actually have spearmint in the room and there was two uh two different research articles i came across one that looked uh, uh connected the you know uh, um, a volunteer uh, mm -hmm. to uh you know sense when they were going into certain types of uh sleep like mm -hmm. rem versus slow wave and these kind of things and they released the scent when they were going through different times of sleep yeah. and there seemed to be an improvement in terms of memory later without the scent in terms of it actually helped them maybe form memory which we do anyways when we sleep mm -hmm. but form the memory because even though I'm passive if you will sleep yeah. as much as your brain's quite active mm -hmm. it's like yeah and it's triggering to make those connections mm -hmm. and then I came across another article that uh, said they had done the same thing, but they didn't uh, um, keep having it go at certain times. They just said, we let the uh, experiment <laughs> run all night long as the uh, people slept. And there seemed to be an increase in uh, in memory as far as uh, as far as that goes when they then went to go repeat the task or whatever they had learned about uh, later wow. on, which was quite fascinating for sure. Wow. Again, not to say the same thing uh, over and over again, but mm -hmm. with more research needed of why is that happening? Why is it happening? And, you know, again, as you said earlier, too, we're talking experiment, but the quality of the chemicals you're mm -hmm. using. And uh, as we uh, often say, we're not giving you any uh, medical advice here mm -hmm. to uh, to go out and, uh, you know, <laughs> use certain products or anything like that. But it is fascinating to think that, yeah, our minds and uh, so on are maybe tied to uh, our noses in uh, more ways than just you know, seeing what that smell in the room is. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe Eldon, next time you do some studying, don't bust out lavender oils, but maybe bake a good <laughs> batch of cookies and then uh, see what can happen if you leave those cookies by mm. your bedside table. Coming up, 
uh, at not just coming up, but uh, this is the end of our show. So coming up a whole next week from now, uh, playlist books, tools mentioned in today's episode will be posted on our Instagram at wellness at DC. Next week, we're going to continue these nostalgic vibes, but with our sense of taste. Mm. And we'll look at how food can remind us of a person or a place. Don't forget to email your questions to anonymously be discussed on air at wellpod at durhamcollege.ca. Our last song today is Oil by Edamame, playing us out on riotradio.ca.